Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. It is my pleasure now to be talking to the two Mikes. We have Mike Mish Shedlock, who is in Chicago. He is the editor of the excellent blog Global Economic Analysis, uh, which you can find at globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. And the other Mike is Michael Hampton, who is in Hong Kong. And uh, Mike is known to many as Dr. Bub, and he runs the website Green Energy Investors. It is December the 20th in Hong Kong. It's 8.30 in the morning. It's 12.30 at night here in London. And it is 6.30 in the evening in Chicago. This is a tri-continental chat. Um, welcome to you both, gentlemen. Let's start with you, uh, Mish Shedlock. Um, 2010, what are your thoughts? What's going to happen in 2010? A lot of it depends on uh, economic policy that we can't foresee, um, what various central bank governments do. Uh, is there going to be a war outbreak in the Middle East? Already we're seeing a skirmish between Iran and Iraq. Does that, does that escalate? Uh, but assuming that the Mideast stays calm, I don't know if that's a good assumption, I think oil prices are likely to drop. I think the economic recovery is going to stall. I think we're going to see 2010 be something what I would call the great reflation unwind, where we're going to reverse a lot of the stock market gains, a lot of the commodity gains that we've seen uh, in 2009. Uh, if the U.S. dollar breaks north, and I've been one of those calling for that to happen, it looks like it started. Certainly the dollar has uh, broken some trend lines here for those looking at this thing from a technical perspective. But also from a fundamental perspective, we've, we've seen some problems in Greece. We've seen problems in Latvia and Lithuania, the Baltic states. There's potential problems in Poland. There's uh, problems with loans that the Swiss and the European banks have made to the Baltic states. There's just lots and lots of problems, and I think the euro is fundamentally overvalued as well. So on a fundamental and technical basis, I think we can see the U.S. dollar rally. If the U.S. dollar rallies, then we're likely to see an unwind in the stock market. So that's how I'm looking at it, the great unwind. The one thing I, I haven't figured out here is what treasuries do, and that can compound the problem. And literally, there's a, there's a decent chance that 2010 is there's no safe havens at all. In 2008, investors at least had the opportunity to uh, hide in treasuries. If treasury yields break north, there's going to be no place to hide in 2010. That's a possibility. That's not my call. I just point that out. I tend to agree with you. Just one question for you, though. We've already see seen the U.S. dollar start to rally. It's gone from... Um, a low of just above 74 to about 77 on the US dollar index. And yet the stock market has held up. What, what do you make of that? As, keep with you, Mish, for a second. It has held up. Um, but if you also look at the internals 
of the stock market. The rally is led by fewer and fewer stocks. They're just advancing by more. Essentially, these are very similar conditions to what we saw in November, October, November of 2007. In August, we had uh, major credit disruptions at August of 2007. The uh, stock markets worldwide declined, then rallied back, gained all of it back, just like we've seen recently. But the internals of the stock market were saying another thing. The, the uh, bullish percents were declining. The, num- the participation in the rallies, the volume, everything was, was saying that there's stress underneath. We're seeing those conditions now. There's a chance that there's a head fake. Um, uh, higher before we reverse. Heck, I, I, I guess to be honest, Dominic, there's a, there's a chance that this thing, that, that the dollar just collapses here and the stock market keeps going, but I just don't think those, those, those are high probability events. If you actually look at what's going on underneath the surface, it's, it's actually very, very hard to be bullish here. If, if you do a line on the U.S. dollar index and you draw a line from the lows um, a, a couple of years ago on the U.S. dollar at, at 72 and then it retested those lows and, and then you, you draw a line and it's a gradually uh, moving upward line. It, the, the U.S. dollar recently hit that line at just above 74 and bounced off it. Um, to me, I think we're going to about 92 on the U.S. dollar index that's indeed possible there. That's indeed possible technically. I've, I've got some Austrian-minded friends who, th- who think that, that uh, the euro, the, uh, the dollar versus the euro, might head back down to 115. That would be a t- tremendous rally here. Uh, uh, my first target, and I'll just give you one, is 82.5. That's about the halfway point from the latest uh, bottom around 74 up to 90. Then we take a look back, and then we take a look, and we see, you know, what's the sentiment, what are the fundamentals, what are the technicals. But there's too many people that are just so U.S.-centric focused that they don't understand what the problems are elsewhere, outside the United States. They don't understand the problems in Europe. They don't understand the problems in Japan. They don't understand the problems in China. For Christ's sake, in, in China... Uh, money supply, M2, is expanding at almost 30% annualized basis. I, I, I'm one that thinks that if, that if China actually floated the Rimbimbi at this point, there's a decent chance it would collapse. Goodness me. Um, Mike Hampton, let's, let's turn the conversation to you. Um, I, I was looking at uh, some of the performances of the various metals in uh, 2009 and we had gold up by something like 50 percent sorry we had silver up by something like 50 percent we had lead up by over 100 percent copper up hugely zinc up hugely uh, rare earth metals up a great deal palladium up by something like 90 percent but the reason all those metals are up so much is that they got beaten up so badly in 2008 so as I look to 2010 I'm looking for what's been beaten up in 2009 as being the most likely thing to rally and as mish has been saying that looks to me like the u.s dollar what are your, your thoughts on that mike well i'm on the same page with almost everything i've heard um I, the, the theme i would give the year is the theme to i would give to 2010 is the beginning of the second great depression that's what i think we're going to see and um I, i've been looking for this rally in the dollar for some time 
I wrote some articles, two articles for Financial Sense, where I talked about manic swings. And the idea there is that um, we swing in both directions. We swing in a hyper, we swing in an inflationary direction, which is what we've seen since March 2009 up until now, more or less. We've seen uh, assets bounce back, like the, such as the assets you've just mentioned. And the dollar was mostly under pressure. Now we've began, uh, we're beginning a manic swing towards deflation. And in this deflationary swing, the dollar gets stronger. I agree with the target of 92. That's been my actual target for some time. Uh, and I, I'm not 100% sure we'll get there. I'd be quite happy to see it stop around 80, that, that Mish mentioned, 82 and a half, I think it was. Um, that's a sensible target. I think eventually we may get through that and then go up to 90 or 92. And while the dollar is strong, I think virtually all those other assets that were mentioned will be going down. Now, last time in the last manic swing we saw in 2008, um, the money flowed into bonds. And Mish has put it very well. This time around, we may or may not see that. Money may flow somewhere else. Now, I think money has to go somewhere. I don't think it's actually possible to have a situation where nothing goes up while well, all these assets are, are, are dropping. I mean, I suppose we could have a situation where everything goes into short-term T-bills. That's possible. But it may be possible, and I'm not really predicting this yet, but it may be possible that money would swing into T-bills and gold. And I don't think that's going to happen just yet. But we may, we may eventually get there. Um, but the key to this whole swing down, and this is another part of my big theme for 2010, is that before this deflationary, depressionary um, scenario is over, I think we're going to see the markets stress-tested by the combination of a weak economy and high interest rates, a weak economy and high interest rates coming at the same time. Because that's what we've seen in almost every major uh, debt uh, liquidation that I've seen or read about, uh, that kind of period often comes. We saw that during Paul Volcker's reign as chairman of the Fed in the 70s, where we had a weak economy and high interest rates, which were wringing out stagflationary times. So we could go into that kind of a period uh, eventually. And I think that would come if at some stage the dollar gets weak. Now, we may see this first in Europe. And what I'm trying to do is pull together a lot of these themes and see that um, we've been talking about dominoes on GEI where various dominoes fall over, and those are sort of like currency dominoes. And what's interesting, and I, I want to go back to Misha's comment about Americans not understanding the problems in Europe and the problems in Japan. I think this is a critical, critical thing to see how, how 2009 is going to play out. And I think one important reason for the dollar's strength is People will initially try and hide from problems in Europe by moving into the U.S., and that will make the U.S. dollar strong. Um, so I'm really looking for the problems on the edge of Europe um, in places like Dubai, in places like Greece, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, and in the Baltic countries, Spain and uh, Ireland and the U.K., gradually moving towards the center as these problems get worse. And I think that will lead people to move out of the euro and maybe move into the U.S. dollar. So 
the dollar strength that we're talking about towards 82 and maybe up towards 90 or 92, that may be driven by fears about what's happening in Europe and maybe fears about what's happening in Japan. So, um, wish, uh, uh, sorry, um, um, Dominic, I'm trying to remember your original question here um, about how will this affect um, assets that uh, – that have shown reflationary bounces in, 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 in 2009, I think those are all going to go down. Mish, you've talked about the, um, the same feeling of there being in the stock market in October 2007, where it was making a nominal high, but there were all sorts of um, yeah. bearish divergences. Mm -hmm. I, I'm seeing the same thing now. And I, I'm minded of 2006, 2007, when the stock market kept on going up, yet people knew about the impending problems in the U.S. housing market and the debt markets. And yet the stock market rallied. The, what, I, what I'm seeing now is the stock market continues to go up and people know about the sovereign debt problems in, in countries like Eastern Europe and, and, and Southeastern Europe, Greece and Spain and so on. So I'm kind of thinking that sovereign debt is the new subprime. What do you think about that? Yeah, and it's quite amazing, too, how, how people can be aware of these problems and yet ignore them. I mean, even someone like Chuck Prince, by the way, I, I called the top, I was a few months early, I called the top in July of 2007 when Chuck Prince came out and said, as long as the music's still playing, we're still dancing. I looked at that and said, my God, what an arrogant thing to say in the face of all of these problems. I called the top. Yeah, you know, forgive me, but I was I was three uh, percent. Chuck, Chuck Prince was head of Citigroup, wasn't I, he? I missed the top by yeah. He was the CEO of Citigroup. He, by the way, he was gone two months later, so I missed the top by three percent. I, I think that's close enough. Uh, at least I hope that's close enough, because uh, it's very very tough to uh, uh, pick a top. Much much tougher because tops tend to be rounded. They go on far longer than anyone thinks, and then when the sentiment changes, you. Still got all the people waiting to buy the dip because all the people who missed out on the rally before, whereas whereas bottoms tend to be a panic affair, and that's kind of what we saw in March of this year, heading into March of this year. So, but but we'll see. I actually think that there's a strong chance that the bottom is not yet in. And one of the things that I look at, I think we're following the footsteps of Japan. You know, just take a look at the Nikkei. It's had, over the last decade or so, five 50% rallies and one 100% rally, only to fall all on the way, falling from 40,000 to, what, 8,000 or 7,000 that it got to? The U.S. can do the same thing. Now, now there's a difference between can and will, but all these people that think the bottom is in, they might be in for a hard shock. But even if the bottom is in, I think that bottom is going to be retested. And that's a hell of a long fall from here to go, say, from uh, uh, 1,100 on the S&P all the way back down to uh, 11,000, all the way back down to, you know, say, uh, 660, 1,100 to 666 or 700. That is a huge, huge fall. The pension plans in the United States, no, one's, no one is literally prepared for that possibility, and I think it's a very, very realistic, if not likely, possibility. Mike? Mish, I agree with that. And In fact, I have a chart, which I'll post on my thread, which shows stocks from 1929 into 1933. And 
as 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 I'm sure you know well, there was a big drop in stocks in 1929, followed by a six or nine month rally, which is maybe similar to the rally we've seen in 2009, and then that was followed by a long grinding down process from 1930 into 1932. Are you expecting that we could see a similar thing in U.S. stocks? No. Oh, absolutely. The, you know, the question is: is this nineteen? Is this more like the nineteen thirty period you're describing, or is this more like the nineteen, you know, thirty seven? You know, when there was another big decline there. Either way, it doesn't matter because uh, uh, you know one of them suggests that there's ultimately lower lows coming, but the other one just suggests okay, there's just going to be a significant retest of that. And, and either way, I don't think people are prepared for it. I, I think there's probably a 70% chance that, that we're going to see either a retest or ultimate lows. And, and on the 30% chance that we don't, I think the market's just going to go essentially sideways for a number of years, like Japan has done many times without making any further gains. I don't know. Maybe there's another nominal high coming early in January of 2010, and everyone gets excited, but, but, but that'll be it. And then maybe we just, you know, sink back to 850 or something instead of going all the way back down to 666 or making new lows. But, but I don't think pension plans here in the United States that are counting on 8% annualized returns are prepared for p- potentially five years of, j- of just going sideways. And five years of just going sideways is my most optimistic scenario. So your pessimistic scenario perhaps is the same as mine, which is we could get easily a W-shaped uh, economy and a W-shaped stock market where we get a new, perhaps we get a retest or lower lows. I think my worst case scenario, and I think that's my most likely scenario, is we may see a Y-shaped economy where this time when prices when prices drop and the economy drops, it goes to a lower low. So, you know, we, a W means about the same level. And in a Y-shaped economy, you actually get the second low at a much lower level than the first time. And I think there's a, quite a good chance we're going to see that in the U.S., I think I think a, a Y is a very good chance. Although I think if if the new low comes, it won't be um, it won't be the Armageddon scenario, say that someone like Pritchard is is calling for, but rather say the S and P maybe goes down to 500, which is about where Asha I think it's fairly valued. So uh, uh, could it overshoot that? Yeah, it can. Do I think we're going to see the Dow at 1,000 again? No, I don't. So, uh, uh, you know, but we'll see. My favorite scenario actually is, is something that I would call a WWW, where, this, where, where the market just, just, you know, goes in and out of recessions for a, a period, say, of, of, of 10 years, never gaining any traction, uh, n- never really c- collapsing. Yeah, uh, but that would not be a favorable market for the stock market either. That, that's essentially, to me, the Japanese scenario. They never imploded. However, Japan can implode now. They keep fighting this thing now. They're, they're, they're fighting def- deflation at a time when their demographics are absolutely horrible. They've got an aging economy. People talk about Japan being a nation of savers. Well, okay. Maybe that's true, but look at the demographics of it. Japan is now at a time when those savers are going to have to start drawing on their earnings uh, uh, and living off those earnings or savings rather than uh, uh, keeping buying more uh, 
uh, Japanese government bonds. Uh, I think uh, when people talk of hyperinflation and high inflation and an economy collapsing, I think right now Japan is likely to hit that before the United States does because of, because of demographics. I want to talk about, if I can interrupt here, uh, uh, Dom, I wanted to talk because I think it's very important about what's actually happening in the economy during this kind of a period because my view very much is the economy has to be restructured, that some of the industries that were working well uh, over the last decade or two uh, are going to have to shrink. And, you know, the automobile industry is a great example of one. Maybe the financial sector is another example. Uh, and we're going to have to move our economy in the direction of something new. And uh, one thing that happens during these uh, depressions and recessions is that the economy does get restructured. So although from the surface it might look like things are falling down, in fact, what's going on in the middle of that economy is New industries are growing up and old ones are dying. And one of the problems with, you know, propping up uh, businesses is it doesn't allow that process to happen, and that hasn't been allowed to happen in Japan. The old industries have not been allowed to, to uh, die away in a very easy way. They've kept their zombie banks alive. But, I mean, basically by, um, by propping up companies, by helping them with their debt, you delay that process. Absolutely. And in a way, although, although it's very painful – Forcing companies to go through the ringer and uh, restructure and write down and lay people off is, is a good thing. I mean, we don't need an economy like 2005, which was reliant on property speculation and overbuilding of homes and all manner of malinvestments. We don't need that kind of an economy in the U.S. and in the, in the world. We need a different type of economy, maybe one geared more towards alternative energy and uh, different modes of transport. Look at what's happening in China right now. I mean, it's like they're following our 2003 path, trying 2004, 2005 path of, of, of trying to stimulate housing and residential investment. And in spite of virtual cities over there, uh, one city that's completely empty, a completely empty city that's built from scratch. There's numerous shopping centers with, with no one in them. With no stores in them, with no one buying anything, yet China's come to the conclusion that that to uh, prevent prices escalating, they need to build more houses and more construction. It's it's absolutely insane. You know, China has a very real chance of implode. I think China is going to implode. Let's just forget to talk about the chance. I think China implodes. And uh, we've also got China has to worry about peak oil, which was something that the U.S. did not have to worry about in its industrial revolution. So, so you're right. We, we need to address our energy concerns, but it has to be the free market that addresses those energy concerns, not a bunch of clowns in, in, in Washington deciding that we need to produce more corn for ethanol. I mean, what a miserable failure that was. All those companies that got involved in doing that – went bankrupt. Instead, we could have been importing oil from Brazil, excuse me, importing ethanol from Brazil at way cheaper prices, and we can grow it here. What did we do? Instead, we put taxes on it, driving up the price of gas, while bankrupting the very people that actually went out and made the ethanol. 
So uh, alternative energy is a good one. I'm in favor of, of other things like legalizing marijuana. I think we can you know, grow that, potentially get some energy use out of that. Not only that, we can get fiber use out of that and cut down on the plastics that go into making nylon. So there's all these kinds of things that we can do. The question is, uh, uh, do we do these voluntarily, or does the market finally impose its will on Washington? And if that happens, uh, uh, it'll be a sorry state of affairs because it won't be pretty. I want to talk about, um, if I can change the subject, Jen, so I'd like to talk about gold for a little bit. Um, Gold should be a safe haven in all of this. And, you know, gold has gone up every year on a year on base, year on year basis for the last nine years. But when we had the last liquidity crisis in uh, 2008, you know, gold got hammered, even though there was a rush to physical gold in the paper markets. It, it, it got it got hammered. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, gold's traced out a repeating pattern over the last few years where it seems to make an up move, which lasts six to nine months, and then it kind of consolidates for a year to 18 months. And within each of those six to nine month up moves, it's had a whopping 10 or so percent correction slap bang in the middle. There was one in December 2005. We had another one in the 2007-2008 move. And if we seem to be in another one of these six to nine month up moves in gold and our 10 percent mid move correction seems to have come right on cue. Is this just that a 10 percent mid move correction or is it something bigger? Um, why don't you take that one, Mike Hampton? Yeah, well, um, I've got two basic scenarios for gold. One is that it drops down to uh, something between a thousand and eleven hundred. Uh, which is pretty close to where we are now. And, uh, I mean, we're pretty close to the top end of that range. We've touched 1,100, I think, in the last week. And the second scenario is that we drop much lower, down to 700, 800. Um, and, of course, it's possible we'll find something in the middle between those two. But uh, those are my two core scenarios. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Dom, I really don't, yet know or have a strong feeling as to which one of those two scenarios is going to happen. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be watching the market and letting the market tell me when to get back into gold. And I'm hoping that I get a good clear signal this time. Uh, the signal I got a little bit on the low in uh, August was not clear enough for me to do much buying. I did a minuscule amount of buying um, on that low. So I'm hoping to get a much clearer signal this time than I got last time. Mish, what are your thoughts on gold? I mean, I know you like gold longer term, but in, in the kind of midterm. I think he's got it right. Um, it's surprising here how um, how Mike and Mike, actually, in this case, are, are thinking alike here. Mish, um, I've been reading your blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my scenario is that gold goes down and, and you know, maybe bounces off that 1,000. Actually, you know, 975, I think we might see a spike low. I think there's a chance we go down to, like, 850. I think that would hold. I think, in other words, I'm thinking the long-term trend lines hold. So I, I guess it's a question of where you put them. But still, I mean, from from twelve hundred down to a thousand or nine seventy five, that's a pretty healthy correction. I think that would represent a good buying opportunity if we get there. I was one of the few people that actually called uh, uh, that correctly in two thousand 
um, a, a 2009 where I said that treasuries would be a safe haven, that deflation would happen, that that in the initial stages of deflation that the, that there would be a big shakeout in gold, and that happened, and that gold would rally back, and it did. So that was a pretty good forecast. I don't know if I can nail that one again like I did last time, but uh, I think right now it's a little bit overbought. It, you're buying right now in the middle of a range. It all depends on where, why you're buying it. If if uh, you're buying it as a long-term hold investment, something to hold on with, I think buying it now is a reasonable thing to do. If you're a market timer trying to market time, I think you're buying early. I think you're in the middle of a range, and we don't know. There's there, there's likely another dip lower coming, and to, and to try and buy it closer to a thousand is a better entry point. But we don't know. We don't know, as I said, what governments do. We don't know whether our Israel uh, uh, attacks. Iran out of the blue, what that does to the price of energy or the price of gold. We don't know if and when uh, China stops slowing down the rampant supply of money. If it does that, um, maybe uh, that takes a little bit of air out of the gold balloon here. It certainly will take the air out of the stock market, I have to believe. So you've got all of those factors, and I don't think anyone can predict all of them. So, but um, Mike and I are on the same page here that we're going to unwind some of this. And let's talk about silver here for a second, because if we do start unwinding this stuff, I think silver and copper and the industrial commodities are going to get hit a lot harder on a percentage-wise basis than is gold, because gold's primary role here is one against the credit risk. These credit risks and defaults are not going away. The problems in Greece and Spain, Ireland, Iceland, United States, those aren't going away. Got a monster property bubble in Canada that is going to pop, and I think a lot of people that have that have plowed into the so-called safe haven of these commodity countries are are going to regret it, especially the latecomers anyway, not those that got in early enough. So all of these things here are going to unwind, but uh, gold is going to hang relatively strong. Certainly look what it did compared to oil in the last downturn. Oil fell from 140 all the way down to 35. What, gold corrected 25% or something? A huge, huge difference. Yeah. Uh, what was interesting about gold, though, during that crisis of 2008 is that all the coin dealers, both on your side of the Atlantic and ours, um, reported unprecedented activity. And there were loads of people who were piling into bullion. But it was people uh, in the futures markets and the ETFs and so on who, you know, were getting margin calls elsewhere and had to sell their gold. So there was a there was two conflicting fact, conflicting forces, if you like. Oh, absolutely, and and that's what I said would happen. Actually, I I I said that that there was excessive leverage everywhere, and there might still be, and and to the extent that 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 anyone's leveraged in anything, gold, silver, copper, that that leverage is going to be unwound. Um, that's what hurt gold the last time. That would be what would hurt gold again, but silver also has an industrial component, an industrial demand, 
and that demand will shrink, as will the demand for copper. And the stockpiles of copper in China right now are monstrous. So copper is one that can take a really Co- huge copper. hit from here. Copper is just critical to watch here, I think, because I have these four manic swing indicators, which indi- will indicate a swing back into deflation. One of them is oil-related, and it's actually a ratio of WTI to uh, the U.S. dollar. It's a strange ratio, but it works very well. And that one is giving me a clear deflationary signal. Oil is dropping. The second one is copper, copper to LIBOR. And uh, copper, uh, LIBOR hasn't yet given a sell signal. Um, it will do that when copper gets slightly below $3 a pound. And um, I think this is going to happen, and I think this is very closely related to what we're seeing in China. There seems to be, uh, you know, we're starting to read about it in the papers here in Hong Kong, that China is is going to be slowing some of this investment. In fact, there was news Saturday morning, which is yesterday for me and today for you, Mesh, that uh, in the paper that... Um, the the banks were going to get tougher on mortgages in in China, and they were going to be lending a maximum of fifty percent. Now, if that's true, we're going to see a big slowdown in in uh, Chinese home buying over the next uh, few months. That was, I believe, that was land prices. So, but but still, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you're right, you're right. Like- so, fifty percent borrowing on on land, but the point. It, it would be just too massive to apply it to residential home. Fifty percent uh, maximum on on Chinese land. But the point is that the Chinese are beginning to impose restrictions on what they they're seeing as a dangerous bubble they want to control, and we're we're going to as they progressively apply more and more restrictions, which is the way they they s- slow things down. Um, that will hit copper demand if we see a slowdown. Now, another thing that, Mish, I, I'm not quite so worried about China as you are because I think a lot of the investment is going into sensible places. They are building their infrastructure here. We're seeing this in Hong Kong where a lot of investment is going into railways. It's going into highways which connect things, making them more efficient. It's not going into wasteful spending like we're seeing to a large degree in the U.S. And I think that's better for the long-term future of China than it is for the long-term future of the U.S. Um, but yes, there will be periods, and maybe we're going to see uh, one in 2010, where things will slow down, and that will hit global commodity demand as China pulls back and stops stockpiling and stops using uh, quite so much copper and so forth. Gents, I think we're all agreed that... that- the the latter part of 2009 was a, I suppose you'd call it a counter-trend bounce. Mike Hampton, do you have any more trends for 2010 that you see unfolding that you haven't mentioned yet? Well, I think, you know, we're going to see the, the sovereign country dominoes start to fall. And, um, you know, we may see, you know, more countries join Iceland in, in you know, what I call a beyond financial collapse uh, scenario. Um, and, you know, as we see that kind of thing happen, it's going to push the uh, global economy towards uh, towards a depression. So I think the big move towards, a, you know, 2008 was a warning. I think the real thing is coming this year in 2010. And would I be right in saying a sovereign, the consequences of a sovereign, uh, of sovereign debt default or a catalogue of sovereign debt defaults dwarf, the consequences of the subprime 
uh, debt default. Mike Shedlock? Oh, I think so. I, I think he's got it nailed. Um, I don't think they'll let it default any, any more than uh, the government to let uh, Bank of America go under, for example. But the consequences of bailing it out, what does it mean if, if the European Union has to bail out Greece and has to bail out Spain, both of which I think are very, very likely here? So, you know, how are they going to do that? How is that going to impact their economies? Um, there's a legitimate chance that if they don't bail those out, then that, that the European Union busts up. I don't think that happens, actually. I, I don't think they will allow that. But the consequences of not allowing it are kind of like the, the bad consequences here in the United States of not letting these bankruptcies take place that should have happened. So uh, um, there's a lot of deleveraging that needs to happen, not only in the United States, but in Europe, in China, in, uh, in Canada with, with, the, with the housing bubble there. So uh, here in the UK, our housing bubble is still is oh my still God, yes. probably bought. I don't know how I could not forget the UK. So <laughs> I think deleveraging is the word is is the word for for uh, 2010. It's going to pick up. We saw deleveraging in 2008. We saw we we saw the great reflation in 2009. Meanwhile, consumers are still deleveraging. Now we're going to see some some deleveraging. In uh, debt of sovereign nations, deleveraging in Canada, someplace we've not really seen it to an extent, and a continued deleveraging of consumer demand and consumer debt globally. A big, big thing. If I, gents, you've got two or three trades to make um, for 2010, what, what would they be? Let's start with you, Mish. Um, I would just say to be on the sidelines, park in cash, count on a dollar rally, be prepared to buy the dip in gold, have a little in case it doesn't dip. Otherwise, um, uh, uh, one has to look at the first part of 2009 and saying, hmm, you know, the, the, we're in an unfavorable t seasonal period here starting in January for treasuries. That doesn't mean we can't buck that, but um, it's something to pay attention to. And if, if treasuries hold, you know, treasury yields hold firm, you know, heading into, um, Mar uh, into May, into June, then maybe the second half of the year would be a time to get back into treasuries. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad place to be right now, but it's certainly not um, the confidence that I had in 2008 when I was literally banging on the table telling people to buy treasuries. In other words, be cautious, stay in cash, be liquid. And uh, Mike Hampton? I well, mean, it is, of course, possible. Sorry, Mike, to interrupt you. It is, of course, possible that gold has had its correction and goes to 1500 or $2,000 or something. But, uh, Mike Hampton, let's see your, your three trades for, for, for 2010. Well, I, I, I think 2009 allowed a dash for cash, and it's not too late to do that for people who, uh, who are sitting in, uh, in, in, in stocks. Um, you know, I'm sitting on record amounts of cash right now, and I'm also paying off debt. Um, I'm selling property. I think property is something to get out of here um, while rates are low and uh, while the confidence is still there in property. So uh, get out of property. Um, hold cash where where to hold the cash well, right now i'm in mostly i'm in us dollars and canadian dollars with my cash right right now and uh i, I look at gold as a cash substitute i will be looking for a, an opportunity uh 
to start moving into gold as part of my sort of cash holdings. Um, I also think there's room for some options. Um, I bought some puts. I still have some January puts. Uh, my December puts died on Friday. Um, not a very happy scenario because that, that was a bit too soon, but, uh, I'll be looking to, to do some more on the put side. Um, I'm also going to be taking, um, what I consider to be some very interesting calls by buying some junior stocks, uh, junior mining stocks, um, in the near future. Um, if we see a gold price stabilization, I think putting, you know, 10 or 20% or perhaps a bit more, of your uh, your assets into uh, gold and uranium juniors um, might be a very interesting way of uh, of protecting yourself while retaining a core holding in cash. Very interesting. I, I one thing I've noticed about the junior market. I don't know if junior stocks are something that you're into, Mish. But uh, in the last two weeks, I've had more offers uh, for placements than I think I've ever had. Wow. That's, that's a very wide. telling thing. Yeah, I mean, loads that's of people are trying to raise cash. Yeah, that's a bad sign. Um, um, one other thing to watch, I think, um, uh, energy can, can easily correct here. I think Mike and I uh, both see an energy correction coming. If oil does go back down there to that 40, 45 uh, uh, area, I, I think that would be a buying opportunity for energy. Right now, it's, it's definitely a selling opportunity. Excellent. Well, gents, uh, you know, I, I love having you two on the show and, and uh, it's a real pleasure, you know, hearing hearing both your points of view and, and you know, two really strong intellects uh, giving their thoughts. Thank you so much for your time. Let's start with you, Mike Hampton. Why don't you give out your website in case people want to find out more about you? Uh, yes, I'll start a thread uh, about this. So come into the site and have a look at the thread and comment if you like. Uh, it's globaledgeinvestors.com. Excellent, and I'll post a link to that thread uh, on the homepage of the radio show. And Mish, tell us your website. It's globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com, but the easy way to find me is just do a Google search for Mish, M-I-S-H. You will be, uh, if you're not familiar with my website, you'll find millions of hits for that. So just click on any of them. Excellent. I, I'm a subscriber to your to your blog, Mish, and I get um, whatever your postings of the previous day delivered into my uh, inbox uh, every morning at about seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and uh, I read your posts and your thoughts. And it's it's uh, it's it's <laughs> I'm with you at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be involved in this three way uh, three continent. Uh, uh, call and I hope you get a chance to do it again. Okay, let's let's look to talk again in I don't know, say in February or something like that, when we can see how things are unfolding. I look Sounds forward good. to it. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 